Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. We're show building here up to number 29, and we really appreciate all the many listeners we have around the world Uh including, of course, U.S., but around Korea, China, Netherlands, just all over. We just really appreciate the worldwide reach this program has. And if you need to contact me regarding anything in this program and uh, to take advantage of any of our success programs that we have, you can always email me. That is success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Or you can give me a call, and that's 844-394-4287. We're continuing today on just providing useful information to help you to know exactly where you can go, what you can do. Uh, Business-wise here, we're going to focus today on the topic, which is the research and development credit, a part of your wealth creation strategy. Are businesses accurately taking advantage of this? And often it is very underutilized by businesses, which is why today... We're going to have uh, Ryan Jackson. He's the owner of Wealth Artistry. That's one of uh, his streams of income. He lives in Westwood, California, but originally came from Hawaii, which that already that's just coming from paradise already. It's just, just already just tells you how wonderful this guy is. Uh, he connects businesses, financial philosopher, a mindset builder. It's nice because he collaborates. He draws a financial picture to help provide and create a legacy of wealth for generations. Very passionate about real estate, financial literacy, wealth creation, and cryptocurrencies. And we're not doing this uh, legacy stuff and expanding wealth. He enjoys sharing in financial journeys as a student practitioner on a team team of tax and wealth strategists. So that's why we're bringing this up. And he really works a lot with this. Uh, research and development credit because it is, as I mentioned, so underutilized here. So I want to extend a warm welcome to today's program to to Ryan Jackson. How are you doing today, Ryan? Oh, Marcelino, thank you so much for having me on your show today. I'm truly honored to just be a part of your distinguished list of guests and uh, speakers that you have on your show. Well, I I just I I just consider it a, a blessing to have to have someone uh, of your understanding and nature on this, especially because as I've been in taxes for 20 years, but still, I don't know it all. And I appreciate finding individuals and having individuals who can help me expand my knowledge as well as help those who are listening to me in areas like this research and development credit uh, that we're going to be discussing today. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just touching on what I do in wealth artistry is just that collaborative spirit and just not having a closed mind to what are some strategies that I might be missing that could ultimately uh, improve my bottom line to create a legacy of wealth. So I think we're definitely like-minded and I'm happy to share any of the the content or strategic moves when it comes to the R&D tax credit. Okay. Yeah. uh, Among the notes you sent me here, and this is, this is something I didn't realize, $16 billion given back to businesses uh, in last year's federal tax incentives and credits. Uh, yeah, and I like the question you put here. How much in, the, in these rebates did did you receive? Did your listeners? Yeah, did the well, listeners receive the, or out there? Yeah, yeah. So really, I mean, that's kind of the that's the million dollar question or billion dollar question. Really, is that there's a and just in my opinion, a, a huge fund, if you will, of money that the government wants to incentivize small and medium-sized business owners to, you know, innovate and scale their business. Um, I I think the experts are saying about 19 out of 20 companies have Mm -hmm. overpaid the IRS because their tax person missed filing these credits on behalf of the company. And I can certainly uh, understand that and believe it. Yeah. And so I think the... The topic at hand, where the tire meets the road, is since the Tax Act, 
has afforded small and medium-sized businesses to take advantage of keeping more of their revenue while also reducing the risk of innovating or scaling their business. And I think that is kind of indicative of the situation because a lot of tax professionals, they're kind of have their preconceived notions or ideas regarding this strategy, this um, R&D tax credit. They're kind of operating that, oh, you know, I've, I've learned about this when I became a CPA and it's not applicable to my clients. Well, there have been some extraordinary changes if you kind of look through the timeline of it all. And I, I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is so important uh, to keep those, those little points in mind, which is why I've, I've personally always tried in my business to keep to, to pursue a variety of um, educational efforts because anybody doing tax, it's a constant education process. So I, I, I look for different sources, different individuals, different people who've been doing this and doing that, doing reading in other areas because such as this in this credit, at least for me, I don't want to be missing stuff like this. And I've now admit I haven't looked that much into this credit until you and I had a discussion earlier. And now it's like, okay, well, maybe I need to look at this a little bit more now. (laughs) Because, yeah, I I had some of those preconceived Mm -hmm. notions. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I definitely, I feel that sentiment. Um, it's not uncommon for tax professionals that are seasoned. You know, they are experts in their field, and they may be just missing this one little component that they just may have overlooked. And so it really isn't about pointing out whether you're confident or not. It's just saying, hey, here's another tool that I can implement to really, you know, have a good, solid foundation to creating wealth. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, part of where you're, where you come in and helping to mm-hmm. help ones like myself uh, mm-hmm. to better understand this and looking at, at their particular clientele and businesses and trying to uh, help them to see, okay, is there a possibility of this credit? Have they done something that will uh, qualify them for this credit? Precisely. And, and I think um, just something to point out, this is my opinion again, is that I feel like the financial services and financial industry has been kind of oversaturated with financial advisors. And by all means, I'm not trying to throw any shade to anyone else, but just to kind of point out my perspective or where I'm coming from, like I said, I, I characterize myself as a financial philosopher. So what are the philosophies? Why are the, what are the whys of what you're doing? And that's kind of the point that you just said is, okay, what are the activities? What are the expenses? What, what are those things that will you know, deem me um, able to get some money back from overpaying on my taxes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But before exactly. we get really started and kind of unpacking it, um, I do kind of want to just point out for your listeners we are offering a free estimate analysis of their last three years tax returns, and that's going to be valued at $100. So if we go through a review to ensure that you haven't missed out on a wealth creation strategy by recovering unfiled credits, and at the very least, you're going to know that you maximize your bottom line. Okay, yes, and thank you for uh, for bringing out that about that. And it's always nice when you can get a free estimate on something there. It's like uh, some of the programs that I do and introducing one ones to the programs that I work with. There's there's a free exploration program I work with ones and determining if, if, if it's even good for us to work together. So it's always nice right, when you right, can have yeah. that introductory kind of deal going there. So Yeah, okay, we've, um, I do kind of have a marketing and sales background, so I've, I've been a affiliated, I've been involved with companies where they charge you a, a flat fee or something up front, and it's just really hard to do business. And so I think it is a better way to create value first, build a business relationship, and then really go forward on how can we collaborate and how can we expand uh, this underutilized strategy. Mm-hmm. Definitely there. So let's, uh, are you, let's uh, go into some of these points. We've got a good, good basis sure. set here for us, a good foundation so let's uh, go ahead and start unpacking some of these things. That way we can help ones to really get the point of where we're going with this. So let's, um, you wanted to go ahead initially here, help explain the difference between deductions and credits there. so how, how- Yeah. So one thing I just want to point out is just that deductions are just a percentage of the dollars spent on whatever the case may be versus a tax credit. That's going to be a dollar for dollar. So you get more bang for your buck, if you will. And now, if uh, you're a savvy business owner or in the world of, you know, 
marketing or I have office expenses, you'll get a percentage of those deductions where the tax credit, you know, could be going to college, could be having a family member. There's a, there's a whole number of different credits that are afforded to us via the tax code. Um, and so one thing I like to just kind of say is that the beginning of the tax code, while it's very complex and very in-depth, the beginning of the tax code is how to actually pay your tax bill. The latter portion, and this is where you'll find the tax credits, is how to not pay taxes legally. Mm-hmm. And that's the part, because it's toward the back, that many people often miss. Yeah. Is because it, if, if you ever read the thousands of pages or even attempted to read the thousand page, thousands of pages of the tax code, uh, mm-hmm. You get up to, you get through, oh, this, i got to pay my taxes, oh, i got to own this. You get through everything, and then by the time you get to where you can not pay so much tax, you'd be like, oh, man, I'm tired of reading this. Let's move on. <laughs> I need yeah. something more I than just whether what it's this Congress is. or IRS has done in a way to kind of make it a little bit more difficult to understand, and um, I think it behooves us as you know professionals to really – dig deep and figure out what are the strategies that we can implement. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is important for us to do because uh, as has come out in some of my uh, prior programs, just in the year 2020 alone, there was about 9,000 pages added to the tax code. That's just in one year. You take yeah. it to what already exists, it's just, it makes it very difficult to find these deductions and these and these particular credits, which, yeah, I agree. I love credits, especially I love refundable credits. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's nice about many of these is that, is that there are refundable credits. So not they don't stop at tax, but you can get them as well. So we're really appreciative of those. So let's uh, take a look here a little bit closer here. We've gotten that good, good established here, deductions and credits. So why... Uh, you look at your business and what you're doing. Why is the focus there on small businesses for you? Well, I mean, as you'd expect, let's say a, a Fortune 500 company. I mean, there's the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks. They have the resources and the wherewithal to take advantage of an incredible financial strategy, right? We imagine them to have a full department or full team dedicated to making the most of the tax code. Most of my role models, they're going to be hardworking and middle-class Americans. And so that's what has brought me to focusing on small business owners because I'm a big advocate for financial literacy, whether it's personal or professional. Overlapping both of them just is, for me, a, a powerful strategy for the small business owner to create the legacy of wealth that we're kind of talking about. So to me, it's... <clears throat> any small business owner understands wearing multiple hats, having to juggle a lot of things in the air, making sure the accounts get balanced and payments get made. And and so it can be a little overwhelming if you're a small business owner. So that's kind of why we focus on them because I, I believe they, the small business owner and the middle class are what perpetuate our economy and keep us living a certain lifestyle that we have as a society. Okay. Yeah, and it at least the last statistic I saw indicated that fifty uh, percent of the people are employed by small businesses. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. so, and so uh, that shows you how important small business is. Very important, and so to me, it's like we're trying to serve um, a demographic that may be kind of stretched thin with the resources that they have available. And so, to me, it's the small business owners is why we want to focus on what we do. Mm-hmm. And what is your definition of a small business owner? Because we, we, the, the, I don't know, they've done some crazy things in the last year to find what small business is. But what's a small business from, from what you're going, where you're going for? Well, from my perspective, I would say there's two points. So the first one being if our ideal client with working with our firm and having, you know, this collaborative client relationship, it's going to be the the small business owner to medium-sized business owner that is generally bringing in around $250,000 in annual revenue and that they've paid at least $30,000 in corporate tax over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Now, the second point, um, I'm working with an entrepreneur and he's kind of starting out and while he may not be a good fit 
for working with us as a client in our firm, he already has the understanding that, okay, these are some benchmarks or these some milestones that he's going to work towards to implementing this strategy, even at a small scale, regardless if he's a client of ours or not. So it could be a small business owner that is less than our ideal client that could still maximize this strategy to create their own wealth. But for our ideal clients, it's going to be uh, a threshold of $250,000 in gross revenue as well as paying corporate tax of about $10,000 a year. Mm, yes. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. That's uh, That makes it really see who your, your, your target is there because because like I said, there's if you go by the government's definition of a small business, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? But anyway, it's nice to know what you're mm-hmm. look exactly targeting on there and who can really be, be used this because we see, especially in the last year, there's been a lot of research and development on how to do business. And so there could be mm-hmm. some good opportunities for 2020 and going forward is to really take advantage of this credit just because of need for research and development. So. And so, I mean, that kind of brings me to a point which I'll, I'll unpack here in a little bit, but kind of what is the research and development tax mm-hmm. credit incentive? Mm-hmm. Some highlighted points just for your listeners if you want to do your own due diligence and look into this for yourself would be Section 41 of the IRS tax code, specifically looking into the 2015 PATH Act mm-hmm. and looking at uh, QRAs, Qualified Research Activities, and QREs, Qualified Research Expenses. And so if your listeners want to do their own due diligence after this program, those are kind of the key areas to dive into. Mm-hmm. But I think it might be uh, beneficial to kind of just take a step back and kind of look at the, the timeline of it all. I think that might give a, a better context to um, your question of who would be an ideal small business because it's not mm-hmm. so much the type of business, it's more about the activity being done. Mm-hmm. Yes, so definitely I, there. Okay. Yeah, that, that tax mm-hmm. incentive is, is important. And you say the activity. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I just, this just, I just saw this this morning here. It might be interesting here. And it has to do with a tax court case that came out in regards to the research and development credit. Mm-hmm. And it, it and it stresses in this particular court case at the end of it is that uh, is that in this particular firm it went to tax court and it 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 was a clothing manufacturer that made mm-hmm. did various types of adjustments through the year but the tax court had determined that in this particular instance the firm did not pass the four tests for the R and D credit because the work was not technological in nature. Yep. They were more related to style and taste, not research. Yep. So the credit that was That sounds denied. about right. So that's, that sounds like what, what, you're, what you're exactly talking about, of being so technical and research. So one thing I do kind of want to point out, mm-hmm, yeah, and so we can kind of unpack the four-part test here, yeah. but I think one thing I, my observation, what I see happening is right now in our current economic system, society, I see this connection of traditional legitimate business and then we have kind of this social media influencer types of influencers right Mm -hmm. and then that kind of breeds two different camps one being kind of more of a coaching camp where there's no regulation whatsoever and then we kind of have the other camp which is like where you're a part of you're an ea cpa like you need to be licensed, you have to have registration, like that type of environment. And so I think they could, I mean, I I haven't looked into that article, but I could see that being where this is a legitimate strategy that if you do it properly, you can recover the taxes that you paid or a portion, I should say. There are a number of other firms that are out there that are kind of aspiring firms to just make an impact. And what they have done are, you know, basically over-filing the percentages of what would be deemed as qualifying activities, right? And so they might have gotten a little greedy in the sense of um, keeping more of their money versus, mm. hey, this is what the code says you can keep. This is what you're entitled to for your credit for those types of activities. Okay. So let's, uh, can you go ahead and give me a little bit more about the timeline and the background of how this went ahead and developed here just to give us a little bit 
a little bit stronger yeah. foundation here as to where this developed? Yeah. So really, if you kind of unpack the timeline of it, it's going to be started in 1981. And that's with the ERTA, which is the Economic Recovery Tax Act. And that's, think of it as post-World War II. And the, the biggest picture to look at would be um, the car manufacturer industry. So we have the Fords and the Chryslers and the Dodges that they are the behemoths of American car manufacturers. And then you get these little Japanese makers. They're starting to import these more economically uh, gas types of cars, right? So mm-hmm. they needed kind of an edge, a little bump to keep the market share. And so that's where this really came from is just the government saying, hey, we're kind of falling behind. We want to be the best. We want to be the number one. And so what can we do to incentivize our business to really compete with foreign markets? And so over the 34 years or so, this act, the IRTA, expired about eight times and was also extended 15 times year to year. And so that kind of lends to kind of the, <clears throat> the mysterious nature of what is the R&D credit because from year to year, it was very difficult from a tax professional standpoint to utilize this for their clients. And so it was always kind of a, a moving target, if you will. But then in 2006, this is where the crux really is for the small business owner, not necessarily the, the C-Corps or the Fortune 500s. 2006, the Alternative Simplified Credit, the, AC, the ASC method, was introduced in regards to R&D tax credits. And so that was <clears throat> a method that changed the formula of what amount of money that you're entitled to. And still it was a moving target, but it was a little bit easier for the small business owner. And then in 2015, Protecting Americans Against Tax Hike Act was also passed. And that's what has concreted and finalized the target of how can we know that we're not taking too much money, how we're not um, exposing ourselves to the liability or the risk of an audit from the IRS. Nobody wants that headache, right? And so a lot of mentalities of professionals prior to 2015 was it's just not worth the headache of the risk. But now with the, the PATH Act, it is identified, okay, these are the markers, these are the, the actual criteria of a four-part test and has made it a lot easier for a small business owner to actually know what they're doing versus guessing with the IRS, which I would imagine you're on the same camp of you don't want to be guessing with the IRS. No, we don't want to be guessing with the IRS, and certainly that is uh, a good explanation as to why uh, this uh, particular type of credit hasn't been taken advantage of in the past, because I know with a lot of different credits, and even some that came out in 2020, they were so complicated that uh, it's like, why would I as a tax person take the time to do it? Because it it's going to end up costing more for me to actually calculate that credit, then it is, then it would benefit the client. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so that is common. This this is one of the I will say one of the good things. Which whenever they whenever something good comes through, I try to say, hey, Congress did something good. Uh, this was one of the good things. Whenever they simplify something, make it a little easier to take advantage of. That's always a good thing, and that something that truly can help small business there so and we really appreciate the nice timeline there that helps us understand how this developed and how this came up what we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and take a little take a short couple minute break here and then when we come back we're going to uh, really see why it's important to include a tax professional in doing this because that's the whole purpose of this show is to remind ones that you know in a lot of these areas and this is another one you really need to have a tax professional don't try to do it yourself as well as get into more unpacking exactly what qualified activities are for the R&D credit because those are going to be vital to make sure that if uh, there is any issue with the IRS that you have the documentation, you have everything there to back you up. So we're certainly going to really enjoy that discussion as we return to the Tax Answers Advisor in just a couple minutes here on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. 
Each year, you file taxes, save money, spend money, and run your business. You try to educate yourself and manage as much as you can on your own. But no matter how hard you search, trying to find the solutions right for you can lead to frustration and burnout. The traditional tax filing and bookkeeping approach no longer works. In a perfect world, the tax professional would work with you throughout the year so you have more time and energy to do the things you love. Marcelino Dodge at Cash Tracks Financial believes you should focus on your job and have a partner to support you to take care of everything else. That is why we developed our personal success and business success bundles. Our clients achieve better results because we focus on more than just tax and bookkeeping stuff. We start with a no-cost mutual exploration meeting to determine if our success bundles are right for you. To schedule your free mutual exploration session, call 844-394-4287, email success at cashtracksfinancial.com or visit cashtracksfinancial.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. To reach our program today, please call in. The number is 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to success at cashtracksfinancial.com. Now, back to the Tax Answers Advisor. Welcome back to the Tax Answers Advisor. This is Marcelino Dodge. Appreciate you tuning into today's program. We're discussing more of how small businesses can take advantage of what's known as the research and development credit. My guest here, Ryan Jackson, certainly appreciate his knowledge on this matter. And as we mentioned just before the break, we're going to talk briefly here as we look at this is why we need a tax professional even to do this there. So why is that, Ryan? Well, um, the legal landscape can be very... um deep at times and very complex. And so I think it is pertinent to have expert, competent advice in the realm of legalities. Um, So to me, the whole specific strategy of the research and development tax credit, um, it's working with your professionals in concert. So um, what we do is a specialized CPA firm we will take what has already been prepared from just a general end-of-the-year return prepared by a a separate CPA and work together in doing this process because typically what happens is uh, a small business owner will work with their CPA, their tax person, file their end-of-the-year tax return, and then after the fact work with our firm to recover um, overpaid tax payments. So your firm is, uh, I'm just wanting to make sure I'm understanding here correctly, your firm is helping after the fact. Yes. After, after the so, uh, have, have you ever done anything with uh, like trying to catch it before an actual tax return is filed? I mean, is there a way to do that? Like, like, for, like, for, like for those that haven't filed like a 2020 return yet? So I'm what I would consider an expansionist. I'm not a reductionist. Mm-hmm in the sense okay. that I don't want to limit and say that there isn't, but I will say um, to be kind of more that proactive, just if a CPA is um, on point to kind of do it all together, um, I think that is possible, but I would say that is outside of my experience and outside okay. of my wheelhouse. Mm. Um, okay. For our typical client, our process is kind of more recovering overpaid okay. taxes. Okay, recovering and filing that amended return to get the the tax yeah. back. Okay, and it might take that because sometimes to get that done, you may not have all the information at the time you file the timely tax return anyway. I know that from yeah. just experience in doing taxes for 20 years. So sometimes you do have to mm-hmm. make, get something filed timely just to meet deadlines and then 
get the other information together. That way you can take advantage of certain credits like the R&D credit at a later date there. So now that we have yep. this R&D credit established here, let's really delve into these qualified activities there. So what are these activities that could, that would qualify for this? So I think just for a good foundational standpoint for your listeners, I'd like to just point out the four-part test, and then we can kind of get really into the, the meat and bones of what is the qualified activities. And so if I could just list out real quick and then we can kind of um, unpack each one of them if you'd like, is the first one being the elimination of uncertainty. The second one is going to be the process of experimentation. The third one is, is it technical in nature? Like what you pointed out with uh, that news article from this morning. And then the fourth point, uh, what are the qualified purposes? And so I think a lot of the misconception, the mysterious nature of R&D is we think of the idea as more of like lab coats and test tubes and kind of more of a science experimentation, the research side of it. Mm-hmm. You'd find, you'd be really surprised with a lot of our clients that they're not so much in the research component of qualified activities. They're going to find themselves more in the developmental side of it activities, right? Mm, And that lends to the innovation of a business, scaling your business, improving your process. Um, And that's kind of where I think the the mentality of viewing the R&D tax credit needs to shift where a a lot of people, like I said, they think of it as kind of more the science-y lab coat, you know, Mm -hmm. type of thing, like type of activities compared to what the small business owner is actually doing that is qualifying them for the tax credit. Yes, I definitely, I, I definitely love your uh, lab coat illustration there, and that because that, frankly, I know that's what I think of. You think research and development. You think of the, the scientific lab, mm-hmm. high school or college or something. So, exactly there. And so, mm-hmm. how as we look at each of these uh, tests here, how's the, how do each of these unpack a little bit? Like Emily, starting with the elimination of uncertainty. Well, so, I mean, I think with that, it could be manufacturing a product. Like if we have an auto shop owner where they're doing custom fabrication, right? So Mm -hmm. they're creating a a, a process that will eliminate something that is not sure of it going to work out. So one thing I could illustrate of not necessarily answering your question, but Mm -hmm. if I were to go down to a restaurant and order, you know, a steak or whatever their main course is, I'm pretty sure of what I've ordered off the menu is what I'm going to get. There isn't a lot of uncertainty in that process. So a restaurant owner is not going to be an ideal candidate for that type of activity. It's going to be more in the consulting of, you know, a private practice doctor or a dentist making like custom fillings or if you're chiropractic, if you have a a, a practice that isn't necessarily proven and you're trying to remedy uh, an ailment in, let's say, private practice or dentistry or chiropractic, um, or could be in the context of, um, let's say, a general contractor doing custom homes where, you know, the the A-frames to the whole engineering to the interior design to the architecture is all custom made, all of that outsourcing is basically eliminating this uncertainty uh, aspect of the four-part test. So, in essence, it's, it, it's a little bit like problem-solving. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a lot of it lends to kind of just that critical thinking and, and really making sure a process can work that isn't necessarily proven to work. Like if you're making something of the first of its kind, that's a shoe-in. That's for sure going to check off box one. If you're kind of like what you mentioned on the the um, the t-shirt uh, design aspect, and eh, maybe not so much of a home run. I mean, you might be entitled to a percentage of the credit, but I I don't see that being um, a home run, if you will. Mm, yes, definitely. And then as we get into the process of experimentation, then because because these all I can see where a lot of these will blend in together anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so to me, I think I could point out just the process of experimentation. 
in the context of the development side of the R&D would be like beta testing. Um, if you're marketing something and, and you do uh, group A versus group B, you don't know which of your marketing efforts are going to reach a demographic that you will deem more pro- uh, productive, right? And so that could be part of the process in scaling your businesses, A and B testing, um, or if you have um, in the medical space, um, it could be two different clients, similar ailments, but you're going to adjust some um, processes between each client, right? So the process of experimentation um, really is found in kind of more of the traditional medical private practice, engineering, uh, construction, any of the software types of activities or industries. Um, Like I mentioned before, kind of just my sentiment on coaching. Now that can fall into some category, um, but again, the point three and four are going to be where it gets a little iffy in the sense of coaching, right? If you're making a product that's more intellectual property, more psychology, more advice, not so much um, when it comes to three and four, but definitely the process of experimentation. If you're making an ebook or a coaching program, that could definitely, you can document your experimentation as you create your process. Okay, excellent. So then, which then takes us up to being technological in nature. So how, how, how are we defining that? So technological in nature is, is really, is it science-based, right? Is it something that you just kind of made up on your own, or is there something that is mathematical? Is there um, technical in nature? So if I were to go to a custom fabricator to, you know, make a, a, a gate for my driveway, I'm going to have the manufacturer have mathematics and engineering to create a gate for me, right? And so that would be technical in nature, like if I'm an artist um, that makes jewelry, now we do have clients that have qualified for the R&D tax credit, but by and large, I would say the average jewelry maker is more in the, the art art side of it. And so it may not be technical in nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that, that would uh, include or at least be relying, as I mentioned, as one of my research my, some of my research indicate indicates about having principles of physical, biological, or computer science or engineering mm-hmm. as a part of it to have that technical yeah. nature of it. That's precisely what it is, yes. Okay, exactly. Okay. And then, of course, the qualified purpose there. What is a qualified purpose? That, that seems a little open-ended to me anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I think with that, I, I definitely want to start the the answer to that question with the alternative simplified credit method mm-hmm. is that if you want to go for the you know the full shebang the full R&D tax credit full documentation the whole works all the bells and whistles mm-hmm. the qualified purpose it's going to require a lot of complexities the Qualified purpose lends with the alternative method because now they're going to look at qualified expenses and activities, and you may receive a smaller amount percentage-wise for the credit, but that gives you a little bit more leeway on, okay, what are those activities? And some examples might be uh, manufacturing a product, like I said, with the engineering of, uh, you know, making a gate for my driveway, um, developing a new product, or even improving an existing product, a process or a formula. Um, You could have some research aimed at discovering something new in your expert of, you know, your field of expertise. It could be making a new material. It could be like the article that you mentioned earlier. They could be taking a T-shirt or clothing and then putting on their own design. They're innovating. They could just sell regular T-shirts for their brand, but they could their own logo, and technically, that would be an improvement on just their general products that they sell. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't okay. say that'd be um, something that's a solid that I want to stand on, but I think you could make the case in the context of what are qualifying purposes um, or what they're not. Okay, yeah, because sometimes you're just sometimes a manufacturer can just be making adjustments based on 
perhaps tastes of uh, some of mm-hmm. of the retail store they're selling to, adjusting maybe the style or the taste of the cl- of the clothing and this, or maybe length of a dress or a skirt or something. But that's not necessarily innovation. That's that's yeah. just going to taste and style. And so that's where we where we got to find that that line to make sure that if it well in clothing anyway that it's something that that truly is innovative. That's not just adjusting there. mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it is really important to um, get competent expert legal advice that, in my opinion, isn't greedy, right? And so Mm -hmm. I I think if you have someone that has a system that works and that isn't jeopardizing your financial position, like, um, I think that's, this space can be, you know, it should be filled with people that are doing the right thing. Um, like I mentioned before, the coaching aspects and kind of like that. Um, I think there are firms out there that are kind of pitching the idea of, oh, I can get you all this money back where that may not necessarily be true, where they're kind of taking advantage of kind of the qualified purposes. But lastly, I do kind of want to point out as an example, um, paying an outside consultant or contractor so that you can perform your activities. So we have, a, like I said, um, a custom general contractor out in Utah, and he builds uh, luxury homes for his clients. He has to pay consultants. He has to pay um, subcontractors. He has to pay engineers, architects mm-hmm. to create these you know, finished products. He can't just do it all by himself. And so that is what kind of lends to the qualified research expenses mm-hmm. when it comes to the activity of the research for him to have a final, you know, product of a custom home. And so mm. to me, okay. it doesn't have, it, it, it really helps to identify which aspect are you on? Are you on the research side or are you on the development side? Cause this is really more of a general topic. Each mm-hmm. small business may find themselves on a separate side of the equation, right? Mm. Okay. So then, uh, what, You've, you've mentioned a few different industries, but what kind of industries can you can qualify for this? And it's probably more than what we think. Yes, um, and <clears throat> the guidelines are, are quite broad. Um, your experience in the tax code is very complex, so it does vary from business to business. But if I could just point out, it's the manufacturers, the construction, the engineering, automotive, uh, agriculture, and then in more of the medical field, private practices, chiropractors, dentists, more the technical side would be um, software engineering, any of the online um, website creation, building apps, that's going to be all qualified expenses. Um, but some of the examples that are our clients that we worked with just in this last year alone, um, we had a dental clinic that had mm-hmm. two partners and they were based in Florida and they overpaid the IRS $150,000 over the last three years um, because they were medical in nature and they were doing mm-hmm. custom work for their clients um, and their activities basically allowed them to qualify for the credit. Um, we have a software developer that um, recovered $60,000 because their nature of their work is designing custom websites, right? They're developing software. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a chiropractor that <clears throat> a little bit on the lower end, but still they're entitled to their credit, right? They don't want to be overpaying the IRS, whether it's $25,000 or more. Yes, um, definitely. I think on, on the other side of it, one of our clients is uh, a broker for Keller Williams. And so because Keller Williams as a whole um, has been implementing innovation with their online system, their marketing, they're on a national scale. Um, This was a really big client of ours where we recovered over $800,000 for them Mm. because of they were doing the activities of innovating their business model. And from there, I'm inclined to say that their tax professional didn't feel that they were inclined to file for the credit. And so we were able to help them out in a massive way. Um, And then I could also think of, uh, we have a client that is a Chick-fil-A franchise owner. 
Mm-hmm. So the franchisee is paying the franchisor a royalty every year. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a, a specific case-by-case uh, example. Cases. This isn't a general rule for all franchises. I just want to make that mm-hmm. clear. But this specific one, um, based on their activities, what they were doing as a franchisee, in combination with the royalties that they were paying for the development of their menu, their marketing from mm-hmm. the franchisor level, and they're not taking the credit, we had a Chick-fil-A franchisee owner um, recover $110,000. That's just phenomenal how that how those amounts can add up just, just really quickly and what they pay um, in each of these cases there. And it's interesting, like say, it's like a Chick-fil-A. People don't always think of the, they just think of the, the brand name. They don't think that many of these places like that are owned by a small business person mm-hmm. that, that pay the yeah, corporation. And that, that, so, mm-hmm. and, that and that's definitely nice there. Yeah. For, for me as well, like I, I really have been kind of thrown into the R and D tax credit strategy, wealth creation. This whole realm has been just because of all of my different interests, whether it's real estate or cryptocurrency whatever the case may be, it's just trying to find all these different professionals to kind of come together. And I didn't, I didn't have a place to um, find that. And so I figured there's probably a need for it. And that's what has got me to the place of wealth artistry. But uh, I think what you said just prior, which is the, the franchisee owner, like we don't think of them as, Oh, just the, the franchise, but they are business owners and they are doing these activities. And I would rather, know that I've maximized the bottom line rather than just guessing, right? And that's kind of the whole method of our system is just saying, hey, look, let's just, let's investigate. Let's take a moment and see if you are doing it and if you have overpaid. And if you are, let's work together and get the money back. If If you're not a good fit, then we know with the peace of mind that you haven't overpaid the IRS. Yeah, definitely there. And so just to reiterate here, how far can they amend returns to to make sure that they're taking advantage of this? Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, so, really, what the IRS says is that you can amend um, up, you can amend all your open years tax returns. And so, what that's going to look like is going to be three years. Is what the IRS says is open years. So, for right now. One of your list- listeners wanted to contact me, and we met tomorrow. They would be able to look back for the years 2018, 2019, and 2020. Mm-hmm. There are some exceptions if uh, extensions were made, but let's not get into the nitty-gritty of that. But just suffice mm-hmm. to say, it's 2018 to 2020 is what's open right now that we could amend. Yes. <laughs> and what's interesting is that most of the time when you get a refund from the IRS, in this particular case, if it's for 18 and 19, you also get interest. So that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, then you get that little 1099 INT from the IRS saying, oh, by the way, we paid you interest. <laughs> I just yeah. get a kick out of seeing those. I'm like, well, it's, you know, yeah, the IRS pays you and then you pay them back. So just, just what happens, but it's nice. Yep. So anyway, uh, so what this is touch on here is we're in the last few minutes here about your process to recover the credit and how they can contact you, Ryan. There, how 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 does that happen? Well, generally, um, we can just make a quick call for an introduction and get to know each other. I mean, that's really my method is I want to create value first and then go from there and build our relationship. But usually, I can field any broad questions up front and then just like like you mentioned before, is just identify, are we a good fit to work together? If not, so be it. We can remain contacts and keep in mind for something else. Um, if it is a good fit for us to work together and get to know each other, um, typically I'll spend about 30 minutes of my time explaining the concept to a new client. And that's to the extent of pretty much of what we've covered here in this show. So um, like I said, before at the top of the hour for your listeners we are offering a free estimate analysis it is valued at a hundred dollars but for those that want to move forward it's a very simple process we fill out a few intake forms for contact purposes we attach the already prepared tax returns 
because like I said before, for the small business owner, you've already done the work. You've already done the activities. You may have already overpaid the IRS and that's where we come in and help recover those tax credits. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll send everything as a packet to our specialized CPA firm. Um, their name is Business Incentive Solutions, and they're doing all the heavy lifting. They're doing all the work. Um, they've been recovering unfiled tax credits for about 16 years, and they have no audits to speak of. Um, and then typically it takes That's about excellent. 7 to 10 days mm-hmm. for them to kind of complete the no-obligation analysis and really present a number of how much have you overpaid or if, if it isn't worth our time to file or amend the, the tax return. Mm-hmm. So once we get a yes, uh, BIS's master accountant will amend the tax return and then submit it to the IRS for a review. And so a real person goes over the documentation that, that uh, BIS submits to the IRS and from there, a uh, uh, refund will be issued. And so I really like the review component because you have the peace of mind that this isn't going to trigger an audit. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the, the fringe tax strategies come with the elephant in the room, which is, will this trigger <laughs> an audit? Oh, yeah. I can't say, yeah, I, I can't say that for every other CPA firm out there, but with us and our track record, the way we conduct ourselves, we haven't triggered an audit in about 16 years. And so I think that is kind of a testament of how we do business. Okay. And we really appreciate it's good to do business there. Now, let's see, just to make sure everyone uh, knows here, I got Ryan's number, which is 808-870-6094. If you want to give Ryan a call and look a little bit more into this R&D tax credit recovery is what they can possibly do. I, I thank you, Ryan, so much for being here today. But time, just like as always, gets away from us here So, because we have such a good, good fun and good conversation. At least for me, it's fun talking about taxes. So that's why it goes by so fast. I really appreciate everyone uh, tuning into the program today. If you have any questions about today, we... Uh, or if you need Ryan's number there, you can always give me a call here, 844-394-4287 in my email, which is success at cashtracksfinancial.com. We had a great conversation about the research and development credit. Uh, that can be a part of your wealth strategy. And we're going to look forward to talking to you all once again here on the Tax Answers Advisor. That's going to be next week at 9 a.m. Pacific. Again, thanks for listening. This is Marcelino Dodge on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week. 